Today's guest is Dale Daisy Thomas, a former professional Australian rules footballer who made his mark with Collingwood and Carlton. Growing up in country Victoria, he idolised Gary Ablett Sr. and showcased his talent very early, earning recognition in the TAC Cup Team of the Year and as an All-Australian during the 2005 Under-18 Championships where he represented Vic Country. Collingwood selected him as their top pick in the 2005 AFL Draft, where he became so popular in his first season of AFL that Guernsey's with his number on it sold twice as many as the then-captain Nathan Buckley. In 2010, he played a crucial role in Collingwood's premiership win, and in 2013, he joined Carlton, reuniting with his former coach, Mick Malthouse. Dale retired in 2019 after a remarkable 14-season career spanning 258 games. Today, he's become a prominent figure in AFL media, staying connected with fans and cultivating enduring brand partnerships. Beyond football and his unexpected foray into writing children's books about poo, he's an avid golfer, a racing enthusiast, engaged to be married and a proud dad to daughter Tilly. In this episode, we dive into the inspiring journey as an Australian sports hero, the relentless inner critic, the importance of family values and navigating mental health and retirement. I just know you're going to enjoy this episode. And welcome. My name is Steph Prem, and I'm your host for Mindful Mess, a podcast where we speak with some of Australia's favourite sporting, health, and business personalities about how they find balance in today's world. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human, and what an incredible human you are. I really, I loved your attitude and your, I guess, honest approach to health and well-being during COVID. Yeah. I thought it was very honest, very refreshing. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the pod, not to mention being a professional half of the better life, better part of your entire life, really. 258 games and pretty much just a veteran and legend of the game. So many reasons to have you on today. Dale Daisy Thomas, welcome to Mindful Thank Mess. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. Tell me, da- Daisy, where yeah, does that come from? It's the shittest story of all time. Um, I effectively took a guy's spot in a cricket side. His name was Dale. He got no. Daisy. And then my name was Dale and he wasn't there anymore. So they gave me his nickname to go with his spot. No. Yeah, so he's a, a farmer out at Medella <laughs> in and around the drawn area. And <laughs> I've just pretty much stolen his nickname and run with it for the entirety to the point now where I almost introduced myself as Daisy to most people. And that's the thing. A bunch of my mates that I spoke to in the lead up and I was like, yeah, I've got Dale. And they're like, Daisy. Yeah. Everyone refers <laughs> yeah, to you correct. as Daisy. Yeah. And then they're like, make sure you ask him. <laughs> yeah. Where does that come from? And yeah. I was like, no one knew it was that. I need to come up with a better story. I should just make up a complete falsity and roll with it because it is the probably the most asked question I get. One of my friends had a very convincing story that it was to do with your long hair. Okay. And we can, we that can was workshop your, this. That was your female. We can work on it. We'll get, <laughs> yeah. You'll circle back. That was my femme energy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that right. was Daisy. Yeah. That was Daisy. And when it was short, it was Dale. Dale. Exactly. Sure. We'll work on it. It's we'll very 2023. 20, I can roll with that. We'll, we'll roll with that. Long, long career. Tell me, can you describe your favorite win, your triumph, or your career highlight? Yeah, I can probably. Three of them almost like start, middle and end. Awesome. So to the point of first game, such a a lifelong dream essentially coming true, which yeah. was unbelievable to play the first round of my first season was literally my childhood dream. And it, it, it becomes pretty funny because when you've – that was effectively, you know, probably from the age of eight, that was the dream. So 10 years of hard work wow. and you've got your dream at the end and then you tick it off and you're like, where to from here? What like, do I do now? Like – I've I've clocked it. Like <laughs> this is all I've wanted to do, and now within you know the fact of getting drafted in November to playing in April, I've ticked the box. So it's okay. Up, yeah. Then you know how it works in sports. What's the next challenge? How do we yes. you know? Let's play. Let's try and be the best first year player. So the highlight was the first one, obviously, and then 2010 we played in the grand finals, drew, and then went and won it, which was and just the whole process of that. Again, childhood dream to play on grand final day at the MCG. Yeah. We drew, which is the most bizarre thing. The way as a group we picked ourselves up and got going, I think that's one of the parts that makes me so proud of it. We 
almost um, for how serious yeah. the situation was from the Saturday of the draw to the next week, we just sort of embraced it and nearly laughed it off that we nearly lost the grand final it's as much unreal. as you could and just moved on. And from that point on, we then obviously went out the next week and won by the best part of nine goals, I think it was. so Unbelievable. Yes. You're only as good as your last game, right? So yep. you just have to like turn up and, and do it just, again. But it takes so much to do yeah, that. Yeah, and the, the actual <laughs> mental attitude to shift to go, oh, we can do it again. This will be fun. We get another opportunity. How good, not uh, what would happen, what could happen. Exactly. So sort of trying to stay in that moment there and – then the last bit was the couple of weeks once I knew I was retiring, which I think a lot of athletes get to the end and are not sort of trying to hang on or wanting to hang on, but also a little bit scared of what's coming next. Yes. Where I was, I think, very understanding that it would come to an end at some point. So, you know, go and enjoy it, whether it's yes. a year, five years, 10 years, ended up being the best part of 14. It's going to come to an end. So once that was decided that, I wasn't going to play again. I had two weeks and selfishly made it all about me. I was getting carried off at training. <laughs> I, I was, love that. I was having the little weights in the gym pretending they're beers, like getting ready for like <laughs> just just properly embraced and enjoyed it to the <laughs> point of I left the Geelong Stadium in a limo with all family and friends. It's just like, you know, this is it. Let's celebrate what's happened for 14 years with the people who've been on the ride because they're the ones that make it special. That's brilliant. And but then, that's true presence as well, just embracing it and going, it is what it is now. Yeah. If I if I don't enjoy this moment or yeah. celebrate this moment, you can't get it back. And I think I was also so excited, as you say, for from 18 to 32 or 3 I was when I retired. You know, that's nearly half my life. I was a professional athlete being told what to do, where to be, what to eat, how to act, you know, and all the same time trying to find out who you are as a person yes. within those confines of, do you stuff up? How you know where, where do you actually fit in with all of this? So I was excited about what was coming next. Little did I know what was coming next was a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us saw that no, one coming, no, unfortunately. No. You touched on the retirement, so I, I have to ask you. I mean, I think when I first met you, maybe three, four years ago, you just yeah. recently retired. And I think we we bonded over quite a few beverages. Uh, amongst a few other athletes about that that shared freedom that yeah. comes from retirement. I mean, are you still in are you still enjoying elements of that freedom? Yeah, I think again, so you sort of got to find the balance in where, you know, if you have work the next day, no one actually cares. If you have 10 beers, you're not gonna rock up and you work like, <laughs> did you go out last night? But to the point of is it the best thing for my career to to drink? So that that was probably a balance that I had to find early, and especially with COVID. One, either not working or two, rocking up, you know, on a weekend, calling off a screen, nothing really going on throughout the, the middle of the week. But no. the the freedom itself is so liberating once, you know, you actually get out of the bubble. For so long, you just, you're in this AFL bubble, you think that's your entire world, your entire existence. Yes. But to step out of it and then go, holy shit, there is a big wide world. And once you get out of it, you're like, wow, why was I so worried about all this petty little shit that is your day-to-day <laughs> life as an athlete because yes. you do have to wait, oh, should I go for it, you know, should I walk the tan today, I've got to train tomorrow, my calf might be sore, I might get tired. Like all this shit you have to or you subconsciously think about. Yes, all the minutia that you get so Correct. stuck in and you don't mean to. But yeah. like you mentioned earlier, it's so structured yeah. as an athlete. And I, I think when I retired, same thing for me. Like I remember feeling that energy from you when you retired. I was like, oh, I know that yeah. feeling. It's, But then it's like I think the freedom comes at a cost yeah. too because on the other side of that is that uncertainty, like you said, and that not knowing what you're going to do for your next chapter or your next job. Like you said, it comes with excitement, but uncertainty comes with stress and burden and you lose, like you were saying, all of your structure, all of your foundations, all that you knew through sport, and then you essentially have to build it yourself back in. So how did you find that? And again, that's sort of still, because I still work in the footballing landscape, it is Mm. somewhat structured, but also a lot of my work on the weekends is, you know, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday in terms of calling games. So there's a bit of structure. But then throughout the week, it could be, you know, a 11 o'clock radio for an hour and then another hour at night time. So shuffling your life to find balance in yes. the terms of, okay, where's some time and chunks in this week for me? If I finish sat, uh, Sunday and I've got to talk about the games on Monday, when do I sort of put a line through that week? 
move on and then start preparing for the next. So it's yes. and the footballing world, it is honestly, it's nonstop. It's twenty four seven for the best part of you know from January February once players start coming back until the last goals kicked on Grand Final day. So it is just nonstop. So I you know I prepare and I like to pride myself on how I prepare. I've got a book of notes that I just. I have to write things down. Otherwise, yes. they just in and out. I've got an old school diary that I write things down because otherwise, you know, you send me a calendar invite. I tried to reply. I couldn't do it. But I wrote it in my book. Love it. And then it's in my brain. Perfect. So I, I try and prepare the best I can and then I think that allows to be my most sort of authentic self. Yes. I can then take the piss, like if I'm calling with Triple M and there's opportunities for gags and laughter, you know, you, you're not forcing or forging anything because you know if it then goes back to serious talk about football or, you know, teams last week or month or whatever it is, you've got the research, you've got that in there as well so you can sort of just roll with everything. Preparation. Yeah, preparation. And, again, that's probably the beauty of being, you know, the way as an athlete you you prepare. As mm. I talked about, you know, everything is to get to peak performance yes. on the weekend for us or a race for you. And I think that's always a good thing to have figuring out what is the best for me and for that it is a preparation of writing. Preparation prevents poor performance, as they say. Yeah, (laughs) Perfect preparation prevents poor performance. Well played, well played, yeah, lots of P's. And it is true, it makes you feel, it's like those one percenters, right? Like when you do those and you've ticked that box, you can kind of, like you said, then walk in and feel in control. And I know people who don't need to do that. Like they can read something and they just have it in their mind. They don't need to prepare. And good, brilliant, good for you. But I know that if I've sort of haven't done it or it would be like something to lead away at me at the end of the day. It's like, no, nah, go put your head in the book for 45 minutes before you go to bed and then I can rest. Yes, knowing that you've done the work. Yeah. I think also it's when you're like a bit of an A-type personality or someone that's used to doing a million things, it helps you kind of compartmentalise yeah, as well, you know, right? The organised chaos that is, is, is you like to touch it. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but that's me. Like I can have shit, you know, effectively tabs open everywhere in my brain. But yes. if it's... It's structured in my own way in terms of it's written in my diary. So then I can sort of, you will say a date and I'll be like, oh, hang on. No, no, I've got, I definitely know I'll come back to you and then check the diary. Yes. Whereas, you know, I don't go to the phone. I'll go back to the book and then ding, away we go. So it is organised chaos, if you will. Yes, but it works for you, it does, like yeah. you said. And where does health and fitness fit into that? Well, it's probably been since finishing the the biggest uh, change, I guess. Yes. Uh, like everything, when you're an athlete, you you don't really have to think about your body in terms of shape of it. It's you do weights four times a week. It's your toolkit, and Correct. it's kind of looked after. And yeah, it's part of your job. Yeah, you look after it in terms of making sure you don't have soft tissue injuries and the preparation. But you're naturally forced, effectively, through training, through organised gym sessions, mm. to be your best physical self. So then retiring, um, you know, and, and thinking back of just in the AFL especially, how unhealthy the, I guess, perception is of like body image and especially mm. in the, the male sporting arena of skin folds. Day one, your skin folds are 45 millimetres, you're fat. It's like wow. what fuck I would give to have, you know, <laughs> 8.2% body fat and 45 skin folds, you know. <laughs> like if that's fat, sign me back up for that sort right. of fat. So Gosh. I, I think there's certainly, and when retiring, KFC and Dim Sims were two things that I would have maybe once every off-season or once every couple of years. It's a treat, a blue moon. Well, and like, but then, like, you have it once or twice, like, after golf or something. Like, Fuck, how long has this been going on for? Like, <laughs> shit, I can have this every day if I want. And then, obviously, once you do do that, yeah, things start to change and you have to then uh, exercise. And I guess the first... Biggest change was obviously COVID as we touched on retiring, coming straight into COVID, had such high expectations yeah. of what the world was going to be, you know. Mm. As I said, lose the structure, go travel the world. Yes. The, I laugh because the day we got officially locked down, I think it was, or we were going into lockdown that night at midnight, I was on the ferry from Torquay to Sorrento. Yes. The Queenscliff Ferry. And I was meant to be in Monaco on the Mercedes uh, F1 team's <laughs> yacht. Tashino, we're meant to be, same, same. Yeah, yeah. So, same, same. Just different. Um, so, you know. A little, just a tad. And again, I don't think anyone could be prepared for that. And the fact that we actually got through it, you know, no. I, I didn't give a fuck about how I was doing it. You know, it was just like survive. It was pretty much the a mental space I went into because it was so tough in terms of everything I loved doing got taken away. I had no work. 
So all the excitement of, right, rip into a media career. Exactly. Football got shut down for a month. You're like, fuck, what am I, like, what am I actually, I started digging holes with a mate down in Mornington. Like I literally went and laboured for him. And I'm like, fuck yeah, how good's, you know. Dale dug a hole. Yeah, how good's life. <laughs> I'm literally starting a patio. Like, wow. So just all those things. But, you know, to your point now, I've found more of a balance of, I get out and play golf as much as I can. That's one of the things I'd certainly do for my nice. own sort of mental state and to relax. Trying to get back into some jogging and uh, we did a, a, a fat loss sort of thing with a few mates of mine, which nice. was brilliant. Christmas all the way through to mid-Feb or March it was. Oh, well done. Yeah, and like some of the change, in, especially one of our mates was absolutely awesome, lost 19 kilos. He was a bigger guy. Unreal. And he was before and after photo. Like he's like, fuck, you guys have literally saved my life. That's so ace. That sort of that sort of stuff of you know trying to get people to go along, but doing things for fun. Like yeah. I'll go and kick the footy now with mates. You know, Love that. Just for enjoyment. You know? <laughs> I'll go for a run. If I get puffed, I'll walk, and then I'll run a bit more, or I'll stop and have a cafe. And it doesn't matter. A coffee at a cafe. You can yeah, enjoy yeah. it. But yeah. for so long, there was you know I never ran with earphones because I used to think if I ran with earphones in um, the off season, the brain would be you know weak, and then I'd have to do a two k when you don't have earphones, and then I'd run poorly. So I like. I'd be hungover in the off season. I'd get up and just run and just be like literally just fighting the voice and just, just sitting stop, in your own stop, thoughts. mate, stop. And it's like, oh, you fucking stop, you're weak, like stop, stop, and then push through. No so sort of way. that whole shift in the mindset of you don't have to be a competitive psycho anymore. It's still in me. Don't get yes. me wrong when I play golf and a few other things. <laughs> but just the fact it that comes I can, out. it doesn't have to be there and have to be on 100% of the time. That you can actually manage the white line fever. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. to the point of almost now, it's like I go and watch the football and the elite level, and yeah. I see some of the blokes get like hit and whatnot, and I just go, like, how the fuck did I do that for so long? I know. Like, what? Why? Why did I want to do that? Like, it, it doesn't look overly enjoyable at the minute. <laughs> you know, having to sit under a high ball with ninety thousand people watching, and just knowing there's a hundred kilos from each side going to absolutely shit mix you. It's, the thought of that, like, I don't know if you could pay me enough right now to do it. But. Do you think that helps with the – when I, I know when I left sport and I went back and, yeah. and looked at border cross, I remember looking at it going, I'm mad. Mm. Like, I can't believe I actually did that. I had that same moment that you had. Do you think that helps you walk away from it? I think that's when you know you've probably made the right decision or you're certainly – Yes. Uh, and I remember the first – this I think it was COVID or whatever, but – Round one, I still get there when there's a big crowd and finals and Anzac Day, when it's the big crowd, the massive moment or before the game, I get the tingles. I'm like, fuck, yeah. I would give anything one last time to run out. But then mm. as soon as the balls bounce and blokes are piling in, he's just like, nah, I think I'm happy here, you know. <laughs> so Actually, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, You're cracking a beer, is there? <laughs> yeah, correct. And that's the thing after three beers, you're like, yeah, fucking kick it there, idiot. I could have done that. <laughs> You become the superhero, the the couch, the That's couch, it, the couch critic, critic yep. like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I love so, that. So, but it, I now that. I am in the media. I've been and certainly put a real emphasis on remembering how hard the game is to play, because I think so many people come out of football, they go into the comfy chair with the microphone on level two, and it is just the game is so easy up there. Yeah, you can see every play that should have happened. You can see every you know missed tackle on a replay, slow mo. I still try and just articulate it and talk about it as how as hard as I remember it being on game day. I love that though because it's such a different experience. Yeah, on the field <laughs> and it, and like fuck, no one really loves it. <laughs> oh, I would have done this, that, and the other. Sure, you can have your view of what you might have done, but also understanding it's bloody hard to do that when you've got eight blokes running at you. I love that. I think that's so good <clears throat> that you can give us that insight. Um, you touched on before that internal dialogue, yeah. you know, that, that voice in your head, which I think any athlete has and I think we, we all have to work on our internal dialogue at some point yeah. in our lives. But there was this post on Instagram this morning and, and it just, you just made me think of it, but it said support yourself instead of finding ways to shit on yourself. <laughs> it's impossible to win if you're not on your own team. Yeah. And I just screenshot it because I was like, I love that. Yeah. It's exactly what you were saying about taking that run, you know, and just being like, calm down. Mate. Yeah, yeah, almost. But I like, I used to almost thrive off that. Like, go, right, you've put, like, you've taken the piss here, you've gone out, you've had 10 too many beers, you've got a price to pay for that. It's like, you, me, the runners in the concrete, let's go. And, <laughs> you know, that sick sort of 
you got to the end of it and you're like, yeah, fuck, I did it. You know, I didn't bitch it out. I can, you know, yes. I'll do it again. I've, I'm back to where I should be. Yes. There's sort of that sickness that athletes have that. It is. That, that's what, you know, separates the athlete from the everyday person that goes, I could go for a run or me now, I could order KFC and do it another day. <laughs> it's, no, it's true. We all have that, that voice, that critic, that dialogue or, or the cheerleader, you yeah. know, that we have to be. And then there's the voice that takes us the other way sometimes. Like it says, you know, don't shit on yourself. It's that voice that can sometimes be like, you know, that can affect you on game day. Yeah. That, well, what if today doesn't go right? It's like you spoke about that, the nuance of between the draw and then winning. Yeah. It's like you just didn't stay in that mindset of being like what could happen or what if we don't. I mean, you chose to stay in that let's have fun with it. And no doubt that changed. Like once I went across to Carlton, I was injured a lot. Mm. And that mentality of just work your way through it, like put your head down, you just continue to work harder and harder and you'll come out of it. It just ended up being not true. Like that was sort of the only coping mechanism, as I said, I knew because that's what had worked for so long. Yes. But then once that was sort of taken away, it was like I'm literally, I'm in the toolbox and there's nothing there. So that was probably the first time I actually like went and saw a psych and started working on different things about mindset and Great. Um, those sorts of things which helped so much throughout yes. understanding, well, why did you actually feel like that? Like, yes, it worked for you, but that wasn't actually the tool that was working. It was all this superseded shit that you hadn't dealt with for your life that actually it was igniting your fire and that was sort of just the way you were processing it at the time oh, rather yeah. than, you know, that was actually the reason why you were playing good football was you were working hard. Yes, that's part of it, but... If you missed one of those runs, you wouldn't have gone to be the worst player in the league. Yes. And just learning that later on in yeah. life. And just like, again, finding out who you are to some extent through those conversations and why you built, you know, why you react some ways, why you, you know, why you program the way you are, why things piss you off, why things make you happy. Once you start to realize this, you're like, holy shit, like, how long has this been going on? I, I probably, I think I was 29 or 30 when I first saw a psych. Really? I was, I was like, I wish I had done it when Earlier. I was 18 and the psych sits there and goes, every person that comes in says that. It's so true. Yeah. I waited till I got injured, same thing, yeah. until I did it. And you go, why didn't I? This would have helped my game yeah. so much. Imagine if prep. I did this when I was at the peak of my powers. I could have been going forever. Right. <laughs> I mean, what what were the expectations? Take me back. Like you were saying this is pre-seeing a sports psych. This is your 17, 18? Eight, yeah, 18 when I started. Yeah, yeah. so you're the number two draft kick. Were you ready for the AFL life and, and everything that would come with it? I was ready for playing AFL footy. Like that was the dream. I wasn't ready for everything that came with it. So mm. There's no handbook on how to hand, handle fame, how to handle no. expectation of supporters. I was so lucky that I went to Collingwood, massive supporter base. But the way I played, like taking speckies, kicking goals, mm. you know, and instantly from pretty much the time I came into the game, I think I was, by the second year, the junior membership was named after me. I outsold Bucks's number for the first time like a month in. It had ever happened. All these things and, you know, it's exciting. It's great. But you dreamed of it as a kid, you know, oh, I'd love for people to ask me for my autograph, stop me in the street, all that sort of stuff. Of and then it starts happening and you're like, fuck, this is horrible. Like <laughs> I don't, like I go down, I'll talk to someone, talk for five minutes and then realise I have no idea who they are. Whereas yes. you come from Druin where someone stops you, you're like, oh, that's right, you, you know, your mates with so-and-so or you were a teacher here or whatever, you'd, you'd have a proper yarn. And you know that community. Correct. It's completely yeah. different. Whereas you're walking down Melbourne and every third, fourth person's a Collingwood's were like, hey, how you going? Yeah, good to see you. Good. And it's like, oh. And you end up giving so much of yourself without realising that you get home and like, shit, I'm drained. You'd be I've, exhausted. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, a massive um you know, thing to, I guess, learn to live with. Yes. And, and to figure it out. And again, there's no, you know, as much as you can have mentors, unless they've sort of lived it. Um, and thankfully, I got through it without any scandal or any sort of mm. major screwing up, which is we see a lot of the kids and the younger blokes now coming in and living the life of an 18 year old, going out, having a good time, going out, getting pissed, doing whatever. But because now there's this, uh, I guess, wanton, hunger from the the society to, to take someone and ca- like take a video or catch them out. I know. It's it's gross. So I'm very fortunate that when I started there wasn't camera phones and <laughs> by the time I'd sort of learn about myself that it came in and 
um, yeah, it was, it was certainly a learning process. But like you said, you're just a kid as well right, and you're right. being thrown into not just the sporting world, like you said, but the all-encompassing world yeah. that comes with being an AFL football player. And, I mean, you're a gifted athlete, no doubt, and natural athletic talent. Did you have the work ethic or was it something that you had to work on in the professionalism? that come naturally or is that something you just had to keep on? The professionalism was something that I had to learn because like under-18s, we played at Gippsland Power. We trained twice a week. We'd get a bus from um, Warrigal up to Morwell mm-hmm. and back again. We'd order La Pocetta on the way back like that was <laughs> dinner, you know, thinking how to have macaroni and cheese before a game. How good. Of, like craft, like the, yeah. It's water. carb loading, right? Well, <laughs> I actually outed myself. I did a documentary, my first, like a little piece for um, The Rising Star. Oh. And I did my pregame meal with Mark Howard and the dietitian saw it. She no. goes, you are to never eat that shit again. So, <laughs> so that was the end of that. But those sort of things, like that's what you have to learn and, and that's the easier part because that's where you can watch the better players. You know, oh, shit, he does 10 minutes of ice bars. He's out on the ground for a bit extra. He's getting massage at this time. You can almost mimic that. Got it. So you, like how they're conducting themselves. Yeah, you themselves just sort of just mirror and- them and, and you learn the ropes and then figure out what works for you in and around that. Nice. But, yeah, some of the other stuff as a, a young, brash kid, you, you learn her along the way and like most things in life, it's when you fuck up that you actually realise that you probably shouldn't have done it. The mess, as yeah, we say. They're the the mess. Be- the, yeah. <laughs> that's where we learn the best lessons, yeah. the hard, shitty lessons. But you touched on other kids, young athletes coming through now. Do you think that or how do you think that professionalism has changed within the sport over the last decade? Oh, it's massive. So kids now come in and, and there's no reason, uh, so it's not a coincidence, I should say, as to why they are so good when they come in now. Like mm. I was raw, I had fun. These gotcha. kids now are like week in, week out, consistent players, top five in the team. Like your Nick Dacoses, your Will Ashcrofts, your Sam Walsh when he came into the competition. These kids are ready-made because from the age of 14, 15, they've been doing ice bars. They've been gym three times a week. They don't go out on weekends. They don't drink. They have almost been robbed of a youth to some extent, which and I have no doubt at some stage that comes back to bite you and that's where the sort of the burnout can come, I think. Um, you know, the junior programs are so good. They're so elite. It's such right. an awesome way to progress your football. But it's almost like, well, at what cost? Yes. And not everyone, some of the people we find, no doubt about it, they're built for that. Mm. Like that's all they want is the incremental climb until it's all said and done, whether that be 35. Mm. But I've got no doubt some of the kids will be sacrifice, sacrifice, and, you know, you have a hiccup, you have an injury, it doesn't all go to plan, and it's like, okay, what have I got to work with now? You don't have a lot to fall back on. Or like you said, there's not a lot left in the toolkit. Correct, yeah. 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 What, what would you tell someone, what would you tell a young kid or an upcoming athlete to lean on? What tools, you know, could you provide or tips would you yeah, give them? I, it's sort of, it is hard because finding out who you are as a person obviously changes a lot too from when you're 18 to 25 to 30, your priorities change. What you actually want to get out of yourself changes. The motivations for doing things change as well. But I think that sort of that goal setting and to the reason why. Like I mm. want to do this, but actually break down why you want to do it. Like mm. you know, is it? And it can be per, like I spoke a lot about um, with the Carlton younger guys. It can be selfish. Like I want to be the best first year player. It doesn't have to be a team based goal. You just yeah. have to understand and own it because if it's genuine and that's what you want to do, you'll get the best out of yourself. If you're doing it for a reason that you don't wholeheartedly believe in, yes, that's when you're just sort of wasting your own time and probably everyone else's. So, yeah, but chasing dreams, having a crack at it is essentially what we all are doing yeah, regardless of what it is, but having a plan in there. On and off the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> like you said, and understanding ourselves and growing along the way and, yeah. and, and being okay with that, with and, that journey. <laughs> and don't be afraid to go and seek professional help in terms of psychologists and whatnot. As I said, I wish I had have done that. You know, and we've all got, that's the other thing, we've all got shit going on in our lives, whether Mm. it looks perfect on Instagram or it looks perfect from day to day. Everyone's got so much shit going on that it might, my shit might be heaps less than yours, but in my old world, that's the big shit. Yours might be less than mine. You just never really know. So, And it's all relative, right? It is, correct, yeah. And some people deal with it, as I said, better. Some people need the help, so... A decent support network of friends, family, and then obviously some professional help is something that I couldn't push enough. I think so. And then it gives you that unbiased opinion too. 
And I think as athletes, like we're so lucky, we we are introduced to such good coaches and yeah. mentors and people like early in our career, which some people don't have access to, right? And then we get coaches to help us train our body. You know, I don't see why it should be frowned upon that we would get a coach to help us train our mind. 100%. And you know, I think so much of the stuff is you sit there and you're like, I'm going to go in today and I'm going to tell you this bloke that, or this lady that I'm feeling like this because of this and they're going to look at me and say, you're the biggest fuckhead in the world. Like you've got this <laughs> preconceived idea that you're going to go in there and just be like, this is what's causing me the most stress. This is why I can't sleep. Why am I fuck up? And they sit there and go, oh, that's completely fine in your situation. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, I'm, not a, I'm not an idiot. Like <gasps> I, I'm normal. Like, oh, wow. You know, I'm okay. We'll work through this. There's a, we, can, we can do this in 45 minutes and I'll feel better. <laughs> Shit. There's Hurrah. a strategy. There's what are you doing outcome. tomorrow? <laughs> Why didn't I do this earlier? <laughs> I feel the most relaxed I've felt yeah. in ages. It's so true. I, I remember the same experience when I got introduced to sports psychology. Yeah. I was just like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And you just understand yourself better and it helps you understand others. So I think that just starts to help you grow but also help you be just a better person. And you know? yeah, and. It may not work for everyone. This is the same thing. Like I've got a mate who's, he's sure, he won't mind me saying it, he's ADHD, he mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to have his medication when he played because it's on the ban list. Wow. But he found meditation. Wow. I had, I'd try and meditate and I'd fall asleep. Like I'd get yelled <laughs> at. Like it just, just that wasn't for me or I'd be sitting there and I'd have a hundred things going around in my head and I couldn't get to the place. I just like I'm wasting 30 minutes. I'm, you know, I could be doing this. So just, you know, figuring out the tools that work for you, then putting them in your box and going from there. Exactly, exactly. I'm the same. I struggle with meditation so much. It's a practice. So I get that. But, but as athletes, we're not good at the practice, right? We no. want to win. Yeah, correct. We want to be good at it. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I'm not good at this, so this must not be working. I love the fact that I'd just be sitting there like, and then like jolt and people would be looking around like, yeah, I fucked it for everyone. I'm so sorry. Sorry, guys. Yeah, my fault. Sorry, guys. But you were relaxed. Yeah, well, you know, like, yeah. You did turn the volume down a little correct. bit. On all, on I turned that, the noise That off. internal just, dialogue. You just, just turned it down too much, too much. mate. <laughs> Didn't actually solve anything. I, I think, just went offline. I think you haven't found the sweet spot. You just turned the computer yeah, off. <laughs> no full reboot, Ooh. just an off switch. Yeah. An off and then open the lid back up and the tabs are still open. <laughs> so true. I'm, you, you touched on motivation before, actually. I want to ask you about it because I don't, I don't really believe in motivation per se, okay. I think. But I'd love to know, uh, and like I said, I do have to actually motivate myself to meditate, you know, yeah. and work on these mindful practices because I go at 100 an yeah. hour and I need that that volume dial turned down a bit sometimes. But, you know, I think there's this assumption that athletes are naturally motivated. Yeah. Does motivation play a role in your life now? I think it's it certainly changed along the journey. So mm-hmm. a lot of my motivation to play AFL footy was to try and ha- like literally do it for mum. We grew up with not a whole lot of money. She bent over backwards for my sister and I. Uh, my sister played elite level netball, driving around the countryside. So for me it was almost like a way not out, but sort of like, you know, to make something of myself that she'd be proud of, help her out financially along the way, you know, that sort of thing. So that mm. as a motivator from a young age and it's unreal is something that, you know, that's a decent enough reason to get you out of bed when you don't want to. It's a huge but, driver. But then again, like once you get there, it's like, okay, what motivates me now? Like, okay, do I, what do I want to be? Okay, as I said, you know, my goal went from playing one game to I want to play every game this season. I want to be the best first-year player. So I didn't play every game. I got injured, but I was the best first-year player at the club. And then you sit there and go, shit, all right, where to from here? Mm. Like, all right, how do I get better? My 2K time trial has to go from 6 minutes 30 to 6 minutes 20. There's a progression that will make me a better runner. I'll cover the ground. I'll be So all this stuff of that shifting the goals yes. um, and chasing it, and I think it becomes so much easier when you keep hitting them. Love it's that. when you have a stumble and then that's when the motivation goes, oh, fuck, that's – yeah, it's probably out of reach or, Jesus, is this something I really want to do? Oh, okay, I'll go again. I've missed again. Or I'm doing all this and I'm getting injured. So that that shift and no doubt the older you get, the motivation completely changed. Mine was as much about half on game or on ground teaching. Yes. Like, I, like the, my probably last, I'd say, two seasons, I couldn't come off and tell you if I played well or I played bad. A lot of it was more, you know, had I helped out or did I think we set up the ground really well because I was – mentally past the point of shit I've got to do this like I was just that would take care of itself wow so the motivation shifted from self to team in a sense yes and that was you know that became great that was a different purpose you know if I was worrying about trying to be the best player on the ground at 30 years of age with half an ankle half a shoulder with all these talent in the kit in the team 
it would be a waste of time because essentially I could have been, you know, top five, top ten players, but I was never going to be the best player. Yes. But then changing that mindset meant that I played probably better than if that was my focus. What an amazing reframe. Yeah. I love that. I think you touched on it because you said it, it's purpose-driven. Yeah, and that's it. And yeah. I think that's what I struggle with with motivation. When I say I don't believe in it, I just don't believe in the I work in the health and fitness space, yeah. right? So everyone's like, oh, I want you to motivate yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Steph. You know, and you're like, You're at the front of the class. Yeah. I'm coming for you to <laughs> tell me to do this because if you tell me, if you don't, I'm probably just going to lay on this Pilates bed and have a nap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I get that. So it's like motivation won't just turn up and knock on your yeah. door, right? And be like, hello. Yeah. Like that's not how motivation works. It's fleeting. It's unreliable. It's it's an emotion essentially. But I do believe in what you said is the purpose and the drive behind the motivation, the why. Yep. Why are we doing it? So I think that that ties back into exactly what you were saying is that there's different goals. Yeah. And you, you shift the goalpost, right? Correct. And if you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning, it's not the motivation that's missing. It's the why and the purpose. It's of your purpose as to what you're getting up for. What you're getting up yeah. for. Well said, beautifully said. I mean, I think you touched on it earlier, but what would you say other than the purpose and the drive, but what's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned in sport that you think that's transitioned its way to life now? I, th- I think in terms of the sporting life, it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. Nice. And probably, you know, I had a, a coach tell me that at a young age um, and you're sort of at the time going, yeah, you're just a bitter old bastard, you know, do, do you really believe that? But once you get to the end of it all, you go, yeah, the highs were awesome, you know, and mm. we worked hard, we deserved them. But the times when you're injured and it seems like you, your life's at the crossroads, you know, am I going to play again? Am I not? Will I get a contract? All this stuff. If it did end there, you know, the sun comes up tomorrow and which is such <laughs> a hard thing to, you know, understand at a young age or throughout because you want it to, you know, no, no, I don't want it to end here. I've got more to give. I've got more to give. And I think that sort of for me is why when I got to the end, it wasn't such a big deal yes. because, it, because I was like, okay, well, if it does stop tomorrow, yeah, there's new things to be excited about. And I guess I have the fortune and the position of playing for 14 years. So it's, it didn't get cut short. You know, no. I, I got to the point where it was nearly cut short, scrounged out a, another two or three years, played some really good football. And then was like, right, you're back. If it goes now, you're not leaving on top, but a lot closer to the top than the bottom. A lot closer to the top than the bottom. <laughs> 14 seasons. I mean, it's so hard, I think, to have. Uh, longevity in sport alone yep. is 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 so high. I mean, you touched on some of the struggles. You touched on injury. You touched on expectation. How do you manage that long-standing career? Like you said, is it just like you said that mindset? Is it that the sun will come out tomorrow and and you go again? But I mean, surely, I mean, you could have had that three years in, seven years in, fourteen years between two clubs. What are your secrets? Well, I don't know if I have any that are certainly <laughs> secrets. Um, <laughs> Look, I don't know. It's it's tough because a lot of, I'd say that a lot of my purpose throughout when I went from Collingwood to Carlton changed a lot, and it was mm. probably not the right. I was trying to prove so many people wrong that mm. I, you know, I could still play and all this. That my purpose wasn't anything to do with myself. It was about other people, mm. and I kept getting injured. I kept you know working or trying to run too hard and pushing it too far, and then would get injured again, or it wasn't working. I was forcing it rather than just letting it happen. Which yes. is you know when I played my best football, it was. Almost like on autopilot. Wasn't thinking, oh, you've just kicked a goal. Oh, there you go. Oh, you've just jumped on someone's head or you, you, you've finished the game. And you're like, oh, you know, that was well, you know, that was all you good. You backed yourself. Yeah. And you just sort of trust everything rather than, you know, and as a sports person, the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about, like, oh, fuck, you know, I haven't touched it for five minutes. I need to go and get the ball and you go flying in and then you get cleaned up or, you know, this sort of stuff. So the understanding of the purpose again. You know, and and then eventually shifting that, and that was the time when I was going to speak to someone about you know, if you're just going to sit there and do it because other people have pissed you off and they're writing bad articles about you, <laughs> you're going to be a you know, it's going to wind up quicker than you know, mm. and it's going to be bitter and twisted. You're going to hate the game, and that's where I was at. I was like, you know, I hated going to training. I was anxious, mess, crying in the car on the way to training, these sorts of things, and then no. get yourself up to get through and like pretend that it's all fine, puff your chest out, put your shoulders back, and then go home and sleep. And it's like, fuck, what an existence. And like, expect to do your best. There's it, no way you can in that state. And correct. And he expected that you're not telling anyone, so everyone thinks it's fine. And then you go out and you play like shit and everyone's like, well, why? What's going on? You know, what's the actual reason? And until that mind shift came of, you know, why don't you do it for yourself? You know, and then eventually you do that 
you play better, the critics stop. The ones that were slamming you shut up and they come back on your side, say, you know, you should be playing on and it's all roses. So, again, I'm big on purpose and the why as to what motivates you and what keeps you going. And I think you, t- you touched on it beautifully is trust. Yeah. Is that trust in yourself. And that you've done the work and, and you know, and as we sort of touched on at the start with now media, it's the trust that I've written it down. I know my numbers. I know the players. I know the form lines. I know everything. I can trust that and then be myself. Same yes. as the game, you know. If you miss three kicks on your left foot, I'd go and have a hundred. So I'd, I could kick. I'd kick it at a tree around a corner, and then I, you know, <laughs> I could see in a game that if that was presented, yeah, as to how that would look like, and go, you know what? You don't have to think because you've done it a thousand times. You know this, yeah. You know this inside and out. Yeah. Like it's at the one percent. It's they come back and work in your favour, and when you need them the most, and when you know that they're there, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I mean, there's so many more questions, but I'll, before we I, we have to wrap up, but I have to ask you when we talk about that. Like you said, that that purpose, that drive, that why. Was there any sort of like mantra or like that internal dialogue we touched on that you would use or say to yourself before a match or before a game? Uh, I always used to write down like my mum, my girlfriend and my daughter's um, initials on my hand and I then just have that. fun. So, And that was in the latter part of my career. So oh. just literally that was the purpose. Purpose was the family and then also have fun. Go and enjoy it. This is your like. You might be 30, but this is the same dream you had when you were 16 and you didn't know if it was going to happen. It might happen for another year. It might happen for two more years. Go and have fun, kid. Go and play. If it goes to shit, oh, well, bad luck. <laughs> but more often than not, if you've got that mentality of you've done the work, you may as well enjoy it, it worked out better. And you've got yourself to this point. Yeah. Now you've just got to enjoy it. Yeah. That's unreal. I mean, we touched on your retirement, but you're hardly retired. I mean, personally and professionally, you're wearing so many hats now. <laughs> too, too many, arguably. You know, athlete, dad, partner, like you said, ambassador, competitor, radio host, presenter, children's author. Author, yeah, don't forget that one. Unreal. <laughs> I mean, how do you genuinely now balance it all? We've talked about balance, but, you know, does... Is there other mindful practices you talked about? Golf, you know, you talked about purpose, family. Yeah. Are they the secrets to managing it all? Planning is probably the one right now, like, Mm. and planning a week, two weeks, three weeks ahead. So I know if I've got a a massive seven days that then on the eighth or ninth day I can, you know, I can have a dinner with friends or I can block out a chunk where I can play golf and and have a release. Um, The tough thing at the minute, and, you know, Tilly's eight years old, a lot of my work's on the weekend. I get her every second weekend. There's this guilt that, you know, mm. I've got to drop it at my mum's or get a babysitter for five or six hours during the day. And I'm sure she's fine with it because she has fun and we try and do as much as we can. But that understanding of, you know, trying to explain, well, dad has to work so we have money. and Doesn't you know. help your parent guilt. <laughs> yeah, correct. That, <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, off I go again and, you know, this job and that job and the other job because if we don't have jobs, we can't do nice things. And explaining that to an eight-year-old is probably more my guilt than her want to understand it. Correct. And sometimes they don't know any different and I'm sure she just loves being with dad yeah. so it doesn't matter. But, but it's, then I, I get it, to the point over school holidays, over summer where I can have like four weeks straight with her, I make sure there's no work on and that sort of, you know, even that Heaven. takes away a lot of the guilt throughout football season or racing season. Yes. Well, I think that presence and that time can make up for a lot. Yeah, you know, yeah. When, and you, it, when again, you give that to kids. You know, yeah. Kids are pretty easy. They, they, yeah. As long as they're having fun, which they do, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. We're all the same though. We all want time, presence, love, you yeah. know, attention, focus, you know, and when you get that, it's there's nothing better. I mean, what enriches your life outside of, you touched on Tilly, what, what's the joy and what's the freedom now outside of the sport, outside of the the accolades, what else? The enjoyment at the moment is just trying to progress. So obviously you come into a media career, you might have had a, a long career in terms of footballing, but you start on the very bottom rung. Like yes. you are doing games of, you know, at 4.40 on a Sunday and yes. you're scrapping it out, doing a, a live cross at 8.30. So You're just, working your way back up. But, but all, <laughs> yeah, that sort of, you know, the doggedness that you you get as an athlete, I don't think ever really leaves you. So sort of drawing on that to go, right, well, we're here. Let's see how quick we can go, Love you know, it. to the top floor and and beyond. So opportunities, you know, always sort of saying yes and trying to be available for anything I think is something that I, I really am enjoying at the moment. And at times it probably does put stress on family, time, time with mates, but hopefully in the long run you get that time back when you become more established, 
you're actually in the position to pick and choose a bit more as to what you're doing and as to why you're doing it. But, you know, time with family and friends is something that I was, you know, from the age of a young age was something I was always mindful of that mm. just because I play footy doesn't mean I'm not going to remember my mates from back home too big or too cool for anything, family, whatever. So I've still got a great group of mates. We have an annual golf day which is in the calendar which is like the highlight of my year. Non-negotiable. Yeah, it is just, yeah, and we just go and have <laughs> the best time. Some of us, you I know, love that. we'll speak once or twice throughout the year on the phone and you get on that bus, it's like you've seen them every day. Oh, I so these, love that. These little things that, you know, carrots yes. that dangle, um, playing golf, I handicap, trying to get down as low as I can is, you know, a little competitive one that's nice. That's fun and you don't get bashed up while you're playing. And, <laughs> you know, there's still that competitive fire. A little safer, golf. A little bit safer. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and just, you know, being able to enjoy now going to birthday parties, being able to go out for dinners on a weeknight. I know that feeling without the guilt. Without the guilt. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you're at a, okay, I'll make time to go when you're playing to yeah. go to a party and you sit there the whole time looking at your watch. You're not present. You shouldn't have gone. Correct. You've done it for reasons you don't really want to and you then go home and, you know, like uh, that didn't really fill my cup. Whereas now you can go and if it is only three hours because you got work, you can have four or five beers, jump in an Uber. You actually enjoyed your time there. And then and you don't feel like shit the next day yeah. because you actually really enjoyed it. Correct, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that trade-off of this is three hours of sleep I could be getting or. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Pablo or Drizzy. The cats, yeah. Well, <laughs> little Drizzy especially. Pablo's more Tasha's cat. He's a little orange. Um, he's a beautiful cat. Uh, he's slightly more independent than Drizzy. Drizzy yeah. is like. He, I feel like honestly, he just understands me. Like if I get anxious or something, he'll just appear and come sit on me and like start purring, and no. it's like it's like a safety blanket. He's like a mental health cat. It, it literally, and like the um, reverberations of the purring just instantly calms me down. Even That's, at nighttime, like I'll be asleep and I just wake up and he'll be laying on my chest. That's insane. Yeah, he, it just, and I know people probably think I'm a crazy cat person, to which I am. But yeah, there's some sort of weird connection. There is. When my mum was really unwell, my our family dog used to come and sit with her. Yeah. He's normally crazy. But when she was unwell, he'd just come and sit and have a little paw yeah. next to yeah, her. Yeah, just something. They just know. They get it. So they know. They're, um, they're fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. You're a giver, Dale. Like there's no doubt even just like the energy that you're giving like from the moment you walked in the door today you know, from the moment I met you, I think we all saw that on I'm a Celebrity, you know, you like you give this. I was giving goat's testicles uh, down my throat. That's what I was giving <laughs> on my show. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that I, might be taking. I, feel, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say I feel unwell yeah. just thinking about it. Um, but you've known, you've also been known, and I think it has to be mentioned, to, be, to give to the homeless. Yeah. And I, there's this, this tweet that <laughs> stands out. It's, it's, I saw this tweet. It was like, just witnessed da- Daisy Thomas hand a homeless guy in, this, in Swan Street a bag of clothes and a couple of pairs of sneakers, random acts of kindness, things that you don't see on the papers, in the front page of the papers. And I love that, hats off to Daisy. And I just thought it's just, I think it's a really nice uh, example of some of the stuff and the work that you do outside of the football, outside of what people see and think of you. Yeah. You know, and you are a massive giver and that's something that I knew. You can tell everything you've said about your family, your friends, your mates today, your community, all of that kind of stuff is so, so important to you. Like do these random acts of kindness, you know, are they, is this something you make a habit of still to these da- to this day? Yeah, so I like, and again, I don't do it for to hope that someone sees it or whatever. I understand that life's tough, like, and people who are sitting out the front of a coals who, you know, I don't think they necessarily want to be there. I don't mm. think that's their dream as to how they've ended up there and, I think that, you know, I'm in a position currently that if I go and buy a hot chook and uh, a couple of bottles of water and a Powerade and some tissues and whatever it is and chuck 10 bucks aside, it's probably going to mean more to that person than you may ever know. And, Mm. you know, when I was playing football, we were so fortunate. The blokes would have runners falling out of their locker, boots and shit, old training tops, vests. And so I literally would just every year around wintertime, I'd say, right, um, if you've got any old runners, any old boots, uh, not boots, sorry, any old clothes, like warm clothes at home, blankets or books, bring them in and any old bags and like just dump them in a pile. I'll sort it out, take it home. So I'd make up five or six care packages, drive around, try and you know, find someone who's sleeping a bit rough and literally have a yarn with them and say, look, you know, 
take it if you want, if you don't want to. Some of the Unreal. interactions were so hilarious. I was like, <laughs> oh, there's, you know, there's some clothes in there and there's a book as well. Oh, yeah, what's the book? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. Open up and go, you have the book, I'll keep the clothes. Like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, we're in a position to argue now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Right. Your choice is your choice. No worries, I'll put it in with someone else. So, <laughs> But just those little things like, you know, I think that's probably – back to, you know, the values mum instilled in us to sort of never forget where you come from, never forget or take things for granted, you know, and and just be a nice person and she's arguably the, the most lovely person you could ever come across. So for her, I'm very grateful. That's beautiful. Dale, it's, it's always hilarious and an absolute joy to talk to you, but <laughs> I have to let you go. But I could, I, before we finish the podcast with all guests, yep. we take a beat. We take a forced pause right. or a, a moment of uh, forced mindfulness, if okay. you w- if you will, where we. You know, okay. <laughs> I told you it wasn't good. <laughs> We're not meditating. Yeah. It's just an awareness of what you're possibly sensing and feeling in the moment. And yeah. if you would, would you share yours with us? You can take a. No, I can. So I I, I feel a, a real enjoyment. You know, talking about the things you love. Yes, is something that. You know, it's hard to do without a smile on your face. So mm. I can certainly feel that appreciation of being able to do that. You get a bit sweaty at times, so I'm not sure what that sort of <laughs> relates to. It's not overly hot in here, but whether or not that was sort of talking about some things that made me slightly uncomfortable that I'm happy to share. But for well, the most part, there is a you know a real sense of enjoyment and joy as to what I've been able to talk about. And some of that probably is because, you know, a lot of people don't really know you. They mm. think they know you from what you've done on a football field mm. or what they've seen of you on shows like I'm a Celeb, but to get to know a bit more and I thank you very much for having me on and um, listening to me dribble shit for the best part of 45. <laughs> <laughs> it's, my absolutely, it's my absolute pleasure <laughs> to do so and I think everyone can take something away from today. But thank you for your honesty, possibly the hot sweats, a bit of vulnerability yeah. and your energy, your humility, it's just um, divine. So thank you for joining me on Mindful Mess. No worries, thanks for having me. I hope I see you again. You will. Thanks so much for joining me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mindful Mess. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and share from your favourite podcast platform. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are.